Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today. Well, today I'm really excited to be starting a new series. We're going to be talking about hope today, and I'll come back to the title and the whole uh, journey of our new series. But what we're going to talk about more than anything else is this rising sense of hopelessness that many within our culture are experiencing. But even more specifically, we're going to talk about where hope can be found. Maybe you've noticed it. Maybe even within yourself, you have noticed this rising sense of despair. Well, you're not alone. That's not abnormal. Many within our culture are experiencing it. And as our team was doing research in preparation for this series, we ran across a couple of articles I think embody it. It was interesting reading in the New York Times an article that was published earlier this year simply entitled, Feeling Hopeless, Embrace It, and then take action. That's an interesting title. Feeling hopeless, embrace it, and then take action. Here's what it says. There's no particular moment. Now, the author is writing about their own personal journey towards hopelessness. Listen to what uh, uh, she says. There's no particular moment when I gave up hope. It's been a gradual process. Once I had given up, despair sometimes overtook me, and I could not locate myself. Long denied, painful feelings insisted on being noticed. I searched for something, anything with which to distract and busy myself. A goal, some direction, the promise of a worthy accomplishment, anything to avoid the dissonance between my lifelong propensity towards optimism and my growing sense of despair. This is where the article gets sad. The author goes on to say this, do I have hope now? If hope means the expectation that someone or something is going to save us, then no, I am hopeless. This is an article written in the New York Times, arguably the widest read periodical in all of the world. This is a person who seems to have reached the heights of career success. But yet in the midst of it, in the midst of a year that came seemingly out of nowhere and has thrown everything at us that we could imagine, this person identifies something that I think many of us have been feeling, and that is there's despair growing within me. Now, their reaction was to say, I need to distract myself from it. Let me busy myself with trying to achieve new things, trying to become more active, but it didn't work. It ended up in despair. It's not just the New York Times, but the Atlantic, which is also pretty widely read. An article showed up with this title, I was depressed before all this, now what? Here's what the author says in that article, the pandemic has been variously described as a mass trauma, a collective grief, and feeling like it's the end of the world. In a recent poll, the Kaiser Family Foundation found that nearly half of Americans have seen their mental health impacted by the coronavirus. As a matter of fact, 48% describe feeling down, depressed, and hopeless. And I wish I could tell you that this was just true for those out there, but maybe you in here, like me, have experienced the reality of rising anxiety. Maybe like many even Christians who believe in Jesus, you begin to feel this disconnect between the things that you profess to believe and how you're feeling internally. 
How do we respond? Where do we go with all of this growing despair? Well, CNN picked it up, and on their health page, one of their uh, reporters wrote uh, an article entitled this, Feeling Hopeless After a Tough Week? Here are five things that may help. Number one, acknowledge your feelings and put a label on them. Number two, connect with others. Number three, get involved. Number four, be kind to yourself. And number five, acknowledge the good. Now, my friends, nothing wrong with that list on the surface. It's not a, a bad list. The only problem with the recommended steps is that they all look internal. It's all based off of our humanity, this whole thought of finding hope within ourselves. It's called progressive secularism from a sociological perspective. It's this thought of pushing religion out of the equation. This, this thought of, I want the blessings of God without God. I want the benefits of Christ without Christ. But I'm here to let you know that if you want a true, unshakable hope, it won't be found simply by looking within yourself. You're going to have to look beyond yourself. Here's the real question we're going to deal with over the next several weeks. It's a big question, and here's the question, is hope dead? Well, I'm grateful that the writers of scriptures responded to that question in their day, and their writings echo to our day, and the resounding answer to, that they gave is no, hope is not dead, hope is alive, hope has a name, hope has a pulse, and how many know the name of hope? His name is Jesus. Let's look at 1 Peter, if we can journey there together. Uh, First Peter is an interesting book because of who it is written to and the subject it is written about. It is written to a group of people that have been scattered and placed on the margins. Again, if you are feeling a growing sense of despair and you're feeling as if those who believe in Jesus and follow the teachings of Scripture are being pushed to the margins, marginalized, then welcome to the world of First Peter. And it's in 1 Peter that he begins to take on the tough question of where do you find hope in the face of a fallen world when suffering seems all around you and everything in your culture is telling you that faith in Christ is foolish. You know, back then, the scriptures described it as a pagan culture. We call it a secular culture, but whatever name it goes under, it's the same. It's a godless culture, and it's this sense that somehow you can find something eternal, lasting, and real outside of God himself. Well, Peter says no. Peter says that Jesus is our living hope, and today I want to preach. I want to preach some of you happy today. I want to remind you who are believers that you have put your faith in the right place. I want to remind you that Jesus is on the move, that he has not forgotten you, that he does love you, and that though uh, despair and anxiety may begin to encroach and knock on your door, it doesn't have to be a permanent roommate. It may come for visits, but how many know that Jesus Christ is Lord of the house, and he gets to decide who stays there and he's decided to let joy move in. Now, what uh, Peter wants us to think about is this, is that hope is a verb. 
Hope is not just a descriptor. Hope is a verb. It is something that should be put in action. I love Pastor EJ's testimony about his life group, that they didn't just have hope from studying the scriptures, but they shared that hope by putting it into action. I want to challenge you today as we go through the introduction to this letter called 1 Peter, that you would not only be encouraging your hope, or if you have not yet believed in Jesus, put your hope in him for the first time, But I'm also going to encourage you to put that hope in action because we have a world that is desperately in need of believers that aren't just spectators. Christianity is not a spectator sport. We're not meant to just be fans. We're meant to be faithful followers of Jesus. Amen? So so what do we do? What do we do when we're insecure, anxious, and full of despair? Well, the first thing that, that Peter does is he says, praise God that heaven is secure. Praise God that heaven is secure. In other words, he is looking forward in order to find hope for today. Look at these uh, words, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect uh, of the dispersion, I'm sorry, elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. There it is. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. Oh, those words should fire you up. Our series is simply entitled this, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. That word unshakable really finds its, its, uh, its, its value in the name of the book, Peter. Now, we know that his uh, given name was Simon. Jesus gave him the name Peter, which is in the Greek Petros, which means rock. Jesus gave this uh, uh, anxious fisherman who worried about his future, he gave him an unshakable hope when he entered into his life. He does the same for us. Peter now, as an apostle of hope, refers to his audience with this paradoxical phrase. He says, you are elect exiles. Those two words don't seem to go together, do they? On the one hand, the word elect speaks of a broader doctrine, and it means to be chosen, to be chosen by God, to be his special chosen people, the apple of his eye, the centerpiece of his plan for redemption. We are chosen. But he also says we are in this world exiles. Exiles mean to be a pilgrim or a stranger. We are chosen strangers. In other words, we, should, we who have faith in Christ should never get so comfortable with this world that we feel fully at home in this world. 
How many know that our faith in Jesus will always cause us to feel displaced in this world that is growing further and further away from him? We are here as his witnesses. You will never feel fully at home in any particular place or situation. Uh, you'll never feel fully at home in any political uh, party. You'll never feel fully at home with all the earthly philosophies. They may have their value in as much as they align with the Word of God, but ultimately, this world, my friends, is not our home. And Peter wants us to remember that, that our hope lies ahead in a home that is beyond this world. He writes to these locations, uh, Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. He writes to them as scattered throughout what is modern-day Turkey today. Think about what it means to be a part of the dispersion, the scattered, to be on the run, to be nomads, to be persecuted. But yet, he wants them to know that all that is going on is not outside of God's will. As a matter of fact, verse number two, he wants to remind them that all of this is according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now by foreknowledge, he speaks of not only God's omniscience, but God's intimate love. God not only knows all things, he knows all people. In other words, he knows everything that is going on, but he also knows you and me well, and he loves us deeply. My friends, I don't want you to not be aware of that, that God is all-knowing and all-loving. He has not forgotten you. He sees you. He is sovereign. This is Peter's way of saying that God is not just in control of the good times, but even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is faithful. Part of the way you know you're maturing in your faith is not only when you're able to praise God for the mountaintop moments, but how many as you look back over your life can see some valleys and say, Lord, you were there with me even there, and you're worthy of the praise even for that. How many have gotten to that place in your faith in Jesus? Amen. It is by God's foreknowledge and in the sanctification of the Spirit. That word sanctification is a big word that simply means to be consecrated, to be selected, to be set apart for special work. He says that this whole thing of being elect exiles is uh, by selection. God has chosen you for a particular purpose. You have a particular purpose. What is your particular purpose? Here's what it is. It is for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for the spr uh, sprinkling with his blood. You have been set aside in order to bear witness through your obedience to him of the Messiahship of Jesus. You bear witness, he is Lord, uh, you bear witness to the blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary through your obedience. Now, will it always be easy to be obedient? The answer is no. Will it always be easy to obey Christ? The answer is no. Would it will it come without a cost? The answer is no. Peter knows that, but he wants to remind you that God is at work in you and through you and with a promise. And what is that promise? Well, verse number three tells us the promise. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. What do you do when you feel hopeless in this moment? 
What do you do when you feel insecure about God's love in this moment? You remind yourself of what lies ahead. You know, the benefit that you and I have is we're not going through human history and this human journey without knowing the grand narrative. No, we know the grand narrative, and we know this, that as bad as it is right now, this moment will not last forever. How many know there's something greater coming that he has promised us that where he is, we will be with him also? Praise God. He has come. He has died. He is resurrected from the dead, and he's gone to prepare a place for us, and if we put our faith and trust in Him, we know this, that heaven is our home, but here's the good news, He's keeping guard over it. And it says in verse number five, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You know what? We live in a world right now where we have to have alarm systems on our doors. Why? Because enemies can break in. But guess who the security guard of heaven is? The security guard of heaven is God himself. That means our salvation is kept by his power. Heaven is kept by his power. And how many know that thieves can't break in? How many know that the enemy cannot steal what God has given? In other words, my friends, God has given us a living hope that the world can't give and the world can't take away. And how many praise God for that truth? He is guarding it by his power. There's a deeper doctrine here called the perseverance of the saints. The security of our salvation is what Peter is referring to. If your salvation is based on you, then you have reason to be insecure. If my salvation is based off of my works, if my salvation is based off of my good deeds, then I have reason to be insecure. Do, have I done enough? How do I know that I really am acceptable and pleasing to God? But if my salvation is based off of his love, his power, and I am kept secure in him, how many know that nothing can pluck us from his, his hands? He keeps us safe and secure. So Peter says, praise him. Praise him because heaven is on the horizon. But then he moves in his tense from talking about the future to talking about the present. Look at verse number six through nine. And he says, in essence, to praise God that our sufferings reveal our faith. Look at these words. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that, by, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not uh, now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with, with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter, again, doesn't mind creating this paradoxical sense of emotion within us. He opens this particular verse by saying, rejoice. You should be rejoicing. And he goes towards this, the end of this, these uh, few verses by reminding us to rejoice to the honor and glory of God. But what are we rejoicing in? We're rejoicing in the fact that God is with us in these terrible trials. I love that Peter doesn't deny reality. 
Look at what he says in verse number six. For a little while, it is necessary you have been, give, you have, uh, been grieved by various trials. Peter doesn't deny that there are some terrible things that are happening in this life. That terrible things will mark this life, this life in this fallen world. None of us want to experience the realities that 2020 have thrown our way. In this life, we will experience the loss and death of friends and family members and loved ones. We'll experience sickness and quarantining at home. We'll experience the social unrest and divisions in this world. There are terrible things that happen in this world. And more specifically, what Peter is, is referring to are the terrible things that happen because you profess faith in Jesus. Don't be surprised when persecution comes when your response is, I've put my trust in him. Some of the persecution we are experiencing is because of the very reason we have put our faith and trust in Jesus. He says these things not only are terrible, but they are grievous. In other words, you don't have to pretend like everything's a party every day. You know, across many sections of the body of Christ, sadly, many have become convinced that the definition of faith is somehow denialism, that, that we deny how difficult or how painful life is. How many can honestly say that this has been a grievous year? How many can honestly say that this has been a difficult season? If you're a parent at home with school-age kids, your office is now your home. Your classroom is now your home. Your bedroom is now at home. It's not that we don't get a break from work. We can just never leave the office now. It's all around us. This is a grievous year. This is a, a difficult year. We don't have to play make-believe, but if Peter is right, here's the good news. Look at what he says. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. Peter wants us to understand that as terrible and grievous as the trials of this life can be, they are temporary. They are only for a little while. That is his way of saying, my friends, that trouble don't last always. The difficult times will come, but they will not last always. Not for the believer, not for those who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus. We will overcome. Here's the thing, my friends. Anxiety comes. Depression comes. It is an unwanted visitor. Sometimes despair knocks at your door, but when your anchor is in him, he promises you victory. He promises you that better days are coming and that hope is now. It lives within you and you will laugh again. You will rejoice again. And that's what he's calling us to, is to rejoice in faith because of what he has accomplished. And so he goes on to say this, that we're rejoicing not because of the trial itself, but because of verse number seven. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's been tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter is saying that Jesus is coming back again. He is on the way home. And what you want to have when you stand before him is confidence 
in your faith, in your, your trust in him, you want to be able to stand before him with a bold confidence. You know, it's one thing to be insecure in this world, but how many when you stand before Jesus want to know that you have uh, truly believed and you have put your faith in him? How many want to have a confidence when you stand before the Lord? Well, the way that we know, the way that we know that we have truly believed, my friends, is not how we do in good times. Don't brag about your faith when your belly's full. Don't brag about your faith when your bank account is full. Don't tell me how much you love Jesus when uh, everything seems to be going your way, but when things are difficult and you still trust him, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. When things are not easy and you have chosen to praise him, what it is confirming is a genuineness of faith. I want to say to those of you who are here today, not because everything is going perfect in your life, but because you have chosen to trust him, I want you to know this, that your very being here is a confirmation of your faith in him. When everything seems to be skyrocketing in despair and anxiety and disappointment, and you've chosen to put your trust in him, even when it's not easy to do so, rejoice, because that means when he comes back, you will be greeted with reward. You know, when things seem to be falling off the rails, everyone's going to look for hope in different places. And in 2020, where people looked, well, they've looked uh, for uh, rescue in political heroes or policymakers. They've looked for rescue in earthly man-made philosophies. They've looked for rescue in all types of places. But here's the thing is that if history has proven anything, it is the fact that these earthly things will overpromise oftentimes and underdeliver. How many have experienced that in this life? That so often the marketeers know how to paint a better picture than what they're able to deliver on. But again, my friends, not so in Jesus. How many know he delivers on his promises? And his promise in John 14 is let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. He is coming back again. And when he appears, he will uh, appear to us with a reward, and the reward will be the promise of eternal life with him for those who have truly trusted him. And so, yes, for a moment, these trials come in order to reveal the locus of our trust, where we really placed our trust. Throughout 2020, I have come to a greater understanding of where I've placed my trust. Maybe you have as well. And there's no point in us denying it. If we find that we have placed our trust in an economy that feels like a roller coaster, and that means that we need to repent and say, God, let me place my trust in you. If we find uh, that our trust is in this one or that one, then we need to say, Lord, let me place our trust in you. If we find that our trust is in ourselves and in our ability to accomplish great things for ourselves, then let us repent and put our trust in him because ultimately, my friends, he is the only one that is unshakable, unmovable, always faithful, and forever dependable. And so then Peter goes on to close this introduction by saying, not only should we praise God because heaven is secure and praise God because our suffering reveals our faith, but we should praise God that our salvation has come 
Our salvation has come. Notice the tense of the statement. Our salvation has already come. Look at verse number 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesy about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. What is Peter saying here? Peter is saying that there was a time in which prophets of old searched the scriptures hoping to be able to get a glimpse of the coming Christ, hoping to get a glimpse of which person would be the Messiah, longing for a rescuer, hoping to be able to see him. But at some point they realized as the Spirit led them that the work they were doing, the study they were doing was not for themselves, but it was to prepare us for what was coming, future generations. But now Peter is saying, we're on the other side of that. We're on the other side of the death, burial, resurrection promise of Jesus. And so we look back, not waiting for hope to come, not waiting for salvation to come, but how many thank God it's already been secured. He already fulfilled his promise. He already went to that cross. He already conquered death, hell, and the grave. He is the resurrected Lord. And we we get a chance to rejoice, and the angels in heaven are looking over the banister of heaven saying, I wish, I wish I could experience the redemption and salvation that they've experienced, but because we are his chosen people, we have been the ones he's lavished his love on. And what should all of this result in? It should result in praise. Praise even in the midst of suffering, praise even in the face of a fallen world, because we know the one who's overcome the world, even Jesus Christ, our Savior, and we get a chance to share in that victory when we put our faith and our trust in Him. How many thank God for the promise that is in Christ? So my friends, don't let go of it. Don't let go of your hope in Jesus. Though the world may try to push us to the margins, they need what we have because only in him can we deal with the despair that's rising on the inside. It's not going to be found through progressive secularism. It's not going to be found through humanism. We can't look into ourselves to save ourselves. If you can save yourself, then he wouldn't have had to go to that cross. But we need resources beyond ourselves. But praise God, when we couldn't get to him, he came to us and he laid down his life as an act of love and he invited us into this hope, unshakable, eternal, and by trusting him, we can experience it. And not only can we experience, we can be agents of it to give it away, this hope, this hope that the world can't give and the world can't take away. How many praise God for Jesus today? And so there's two people, there's two people in this room. There are those who have put your hope in him. Two people watching me today, those who have put their hope in him. Remember, hope is an action word. Hope should be on the move. If you have put your faith and trust in him, then get about the business of taking hope to every space that God places you in. But then there are those who have yet to put their hope in him. 
that are struggling and wondering, is there any hope for me? I want you to know, according to his foreknowledge, the sanctification of the Spirit, the resurrection of Jesus, God's power, he sees you, he knows you, he loves you, and today he wants you to experience his great salvation. And I wish I could come down there and put my arm around you or visit your house and bring you into this, but you have to choose today to put your faith and trust in him. But here's the good news. We're going to pray today. We're going to end in worship, but some of my friends are going to join me at the front today, and we would love to pray for you. Maybe you're a believer and you have lost your hope somewhere along the journey of life. Today you can get it back again. Or maybe today you have never trusted Jesus. I want to invite you to put your faith and trust in him. It's the best decision you will ever make. And how many can say amen to that truth? Everybody stand with me all over this church. Today, if you don't know Christ, give your heart to him. He knows how to keep it. He knows how to protect it. And he knows how to give you hope even in the face of despair. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth that is in Christ. We thank you for these words eternal that are found in Peter's writing. Father, it gets us excited. It fires us up because it reminds us that we have not believed in vain, but our trusting you, the Lord, has great reward. And that great reward is life eternal with Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would give peace where peace has been lost, hope where hopelessness has tried to set in. Remind us that the devil is defeated, that Jesus is exalted, and that today we are blessed because Christ is king. And let all God's people say a big hallelujah, amen, and amen. Come on and give God praise today. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.